Welcome to season four. Welcome to season four of this most unbelievable podcast. We open season four with a confession. We don't have a plan. We have no idea what's going to show up. Our podcast and every season is our place of invention. It's where we go to think and learn with each other and to open dialogue with our listeners. We look forward to another season of brainstorming and surrendering to what unfolds. Thanks, y'all. Now on with the show. Hey, Sherry, how are you? Uh, you know, I'm all right. How are you, Paul? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, what is it? Podcast, what is it? Tuesday? Tuesday, Tuesday. yeah, because last week we did Friday. Indeed. So we're back to the regular schedule, I think. Yep, that's right. And so this is episode 52. 52. That's which true. means we've been doing this for a year. It's been a year. It's been a year. It has been. This episode will also come out on February 23rd. Okay. Which is my mom's birthday. Oh, we wish her a happy birthday. So happy birthday, mom. Um, did, When did the first episode actually, is that when we recorded it? It must be when we recorded it. We must have recorded the first one on... Well, the first one came out like March 4th or 5th, I yeah, think. Yeah, it was, it was in March when I think the first one came out. Yeah, so our 52nd one is naturally the last one of February. Yeah, I think you're right. I think so you're right. we did it. It's been a year-o podcasts. A year-o podcasts. 52. They usually run, what, an hour, between an hour and an hour 15. Mm-hmm. So we got probably about 60 60 hours of talking. I always knew that I like to talk. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, it's interesting. I was having this conversation with my brother last night where we were talking about <clears throat> how we were kids. Like, it was kind of like expected that like my brother was very like very much the like extroverted one mm-hmm. who was very like out there. And then I was very introverted and shy. Right. But that wasn't actually really true to who we really were. And so it's like, it's it looks, I think, to the outside observer, like we switched, like it's a weird thing. Like he doesn't like performing. Um, like he's a musician who doesn't like to do shows. Right. Where I was right. telling him like, right. I am much happier if I'm on the stage. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is kind of the problem, I think, in some ways with pandemic life, like. When's the last time you were on a stage, Paul? Yeah, we talked about this earlier on. It's like the the, the stage in front of people is sort of our natural environment for mm-hmm. both of, for both of us. And I could almost say the same thing about uh, myself growing up. I mean, I was a quiet kid. Um, it's like I wasn't outspoken. I I didn't. I mean, I would probably. I mean, the whole introvert extrovert thing wasn't something in 1978. I don't think, or at least it wasn't when I was seven. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I was, I don't think I was ever really called gregarious. I don't know. Um, now I'm thinking back because then I used to think about this quite a lot. It's like, when did, when did modern Paul emerge from, <laughs> I, th- I think anybody could probably say that though. I mean, when did the, when did the current version of who we are sort of come yeah. to the fore a little bit? Because I remember, you know, who I was and, when I was younger and it's like, I've, I've changed quite a lot from then, but in other ways I still feel like the exact same person, 
but I do things differently now and very comfortably so. So it's not like I put all this effort into changing myself. It's like a, a new me sort of emerged sometime. One that uh, I think is a little more talkative. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like I know when I was young, like in school, especially I don't rem- I mean, I remember feeling almost morbidly shy. Yeah. Me um, too. Yeah. Me too. But I think a, a big part of that was just like this, this big fear of um, humiliation, embarrassment and ridicule. Like that, that's what drove my shyness. Yeah. Right. Right. Not a lack of desire to be in front of a crowd. Yeah, that might be true. Um, and maybe it's one of those things where at the time when I was up in front of people, um, there were a couple of times when I was in elementary middle school when I was up in front of up in front of folks. And I don't recall that being a, a problem at the mm. t- <laughs> at the time, but I really wasn't performing either. I mean, yeah, I sang in the choir and I was on the you know, in, in the little elementary middle school plays. And did I ever tell you the story about how I won the seventh grade spelling bee? Oh, and was later you did. stripped of my title. You so did. Um, the, I think that uh, that's on a an episode of Faith Made Welcome. We can direct yeah, listeners to the right. story there. Oh, yeah, that is, isn't it? It's like I knew we recorded that somewhere. Um, yeah. And uh, I remember being on the stage and then I would, I was fine with that. And you don't win if you get stage fright, if you're on in front of your entire assembly, you know, when you're doing the spelling bee, I don't think you freeze up. I don't remember doing that. Um, I remember the word that I, mm-hmm. I, I remember the word that I spelled that was contentious. I don't remember what the word after that was. And, um, the rest of it is just a story I don't know if I want to revisit just because I'm yeah. bitter. I'm bitter about it. So long story short, I won the spelling bee in seventh grade and then I was stripped of my title on a dispute and there was a, a do-over, which I never should have agreed to. Um, <laughs> uh, never should have agreed to and uh, the rest is sort of history. But yeah, I mean, I was I was a shy kid then, but I, I do know that I was pretty comfortable on the stage. So I don't know how to, I don't know how to reconcile those very well. It's interesting because I actually don't remember many times that I was on stage um, in my younger years. I, um, you know, I did, I did ballet and tap one year, um, but right after that, uh, we figured out that I had this complication with my ankles, so I ended up right. needing surgery, and then right. um, after that, never did ballet and tap yeah. again. But right. I remember the recital. Um, I remember performing in it. I don't remember being nervous about it. Mm. I remember excitement. Um, when I was skating, um, I remember a performance associated with that at the at the skating rink um, to the Jurassic Park theme song. Oh, cool. Um, That's cool. Actually. And I remember enjoying that performance. Um, but... Like my brother did drama, I didn't do drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and good lord, spelling! Like, I still don't spell words in public. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? Um, I spell words. <laughs> I got that down. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I don't know. It, for some reason, whenever I think about me trying to make decisions about whether to get on stage as a young person, all I can think of is that movie, A Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's and they're like, they're all going to laugh at you or whatever. Like, 
I don't know who the they is. Yeah. But right. I was always convinced they were waiting to laugh at me for all the things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I do remember going through my elementary years. Um, yeah, just pretty shy, pretty quiet, and pretty much pretty reserved. You didn't have not a pathological wanting, not, no, fear not, that they were all going to laugh at you? No, I, I think I did um, oh, okay. a, a little all bit. Right. Um, you know, I didn't want to stand out. You know, mm-hmm. just sort of, I'm just going to keep my head down and yeah, I can spell okay and I don't mind being on stage, but I'm just going to keep my head down for this one until, it's like, I, I almost feel like I was like biding my time until, you know, a situation changed where I could sort of yeah do something different. And elementary and middle school and high school was not it. It was not it. It was not those circumstances. So it just sort of hung out. Yeah, I mean, I actually remember being incredibly uh, extroverted, like, in kindergarten. Um, But then after that, mm -mm, nope. Um, And I think it probably wasn't until I started teaching that Mm. I started, like, becoming really, really... I mean, well, I don't know. It's interesting. I think it's interesting who brings what out of you, right? Um, So I think if we were to pull my closest friends from high school, Katie and Ashley, uh, they would probably say I was never a quiet person. Mm. But they would probably say that I was quiet in school. Mm. Yeah. And I never, I never remember being the, the ringleader for shenanigans or anything, you know, um, I went along with some shenanigans, but I was never the organizer and ringleader of said, uh, shenanigans. It's like, I, I, I took more of a, a, a wingman role than a, mm. <laughs> than a top gun situation. I don't know. You know, um, you were not Maverick. No, I was kind of the side man on this kind of stuff or a lot of stuff. I was in the sidecar and I was happy. It was, that was fine with that. It's like, cool, let's work for me, you know? Um, and then, you know, when you when you mentioned it, I started to think, yeah, maybe it was when I started getting up in front of a classroom, mm-hmm. you know, that I sort of grew into my skin a little bit as uh, someone a little more out there, I guess, willing to be out there a little bit more. It was not hard to do that. I mean, it's not like, like I said, it's not like it, I had to do something in order to make that happen. It was really just, I think, finding myself in a situation where... It's like, okay, you can do this now um, safely. All right, cool. Cool, I can can safely do this now. And so I will. Yeah. In some ways, I think the first... I think this might be why I'm so drawn to writing, though I think I developed a a strange relationship with writing, as many people do. As many people do. Um, But I think I really found my voice in a lot of ways in writing. Um, like through writing like notes. And then once I got to college, I was actually just yesterday rereading papers I wrote um, my first year of college because uh-huh. I'm kind of trying to remember what it's like to get feedback. Yeah. <laughs> during <Sucks>. that time. <laughs> it's never easy for me, but it's awesome. It's and yeah. it's so my favorite. No, it's not. Um, so I think actually writing is might have been one of the ways that I figured out like what my voice that you know got comfortable yeah. with the sound of my own voice 
Yeah, right. And then, right. um, you know, my teacher started saying this stuff like, you know, oh, we love your paper so much. We just wish you would talk more in class. And I was like, mm, pass. Why? Why did they want you to talk more in class? I mean, it was a writing class, right? Or an English class? or Yeah, I mean, it was I'm often making like some English broad... classes. Yeah, making yeah. some broad stereotypes like, you don't talk in English class. You write in English classes. I mean, that's what any scientist would that's say. that's what we sit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you in the back you know pipe down it's a writing class not an english no not a speaking class pipe down right it's like being in in speech communication it's like you what are you writing stuff down for you should be speaking right <laughs> yeah well i mean this is the i mean i one of the things that's interesting about um i think my undergrad experience is that i actually worked really hard to basically take as few classes in anything but english as possible because i figured right. out like all right when I just have to read books and talk about them, I'm pretty good at that. But literally anything else, no thank you. Yeah. So I took like, um, right. you know, I took my chemistry class that I was required to take. But I think we've we've talked about how I passed chemistry. It was not exactly on the up and up because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't go to lab. Yeah. Students go to lab. Um, but um, I don't know. I just I, I think I found that I was... I could find my voice. I could figure out what I thought in the world if I was writing. But if I was talking, well, part of it, actually, it's kind of weird. I used to stumble all over my words. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a big part of it is mm-hmm. I pronounced words wrong. Um, I, it, it's like not that I stuttered. I just, I would literally say, like, make the tiniest little gaffe in speech and then it felt like everyone around me was going to like cling to that and make fun of it for like the next 97 years. Yeah, right. Um, right. And so I think maybe as I got older, I realized not everyone was a 12-year-old uh, and that helped. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, uh, I, I've told you this story before. Um, where when I started as an undergrad in, in college, I placed into developmental English, uh-huh. developmental writing. Um, and I, it's like, what what does that mean? So it's like born and raised in St. Louis in the city. I went to a reputable private high school right uh-huh. in the county um, after going to a reputable private high elementary school you're making yourself sound so bougie but let's you know, remember I know. It's like, you're yeah, from so, st louis yeah right it's from st louis so south st louis city and so you know i i, I walk in you know to the to the local university and this is back in 80 what 89 give or take you know and we take the english placement test to get placed in whatever english class is the one that we're supposed to be taking and i placed in developmental english and what what what's the what's the lesson to be learned there? You know, first and foremost, it's like, well, you can't write for shit. So work. any any lessons that you've attempted to learn to this point have evidently failed. And which, we're going to start over again with some things that you should have learned already. Would so you like was, to know my perspective on that? That was me at 18. It's like, I mean, they call it developmental English for a reason, right? So I'm like, right, well, right, it right. sucks. But, you know, one of the things we know now is that... uh. Boys like you don't take the placement test seriously. No. Therefore, no. don't perform well on it. You know, I took it very seriously. I seriously wanted to get it done as quickly as possible with a minimal uh-huh. amount of, of work and effort. I, mean, uh-huh. I took it yeah. super seriously. Yeah. 
Uh, and the price I paid for that was literally nothing. So it's like, great. I took developmental English and then I took comp next semester. And it was fine, you know? Um, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Maybe it was a couple of credits that, you know, uh, I, I took some time with it. I didn't have to if I had just applied myself. But, you know, my to, to this day, my thought on that is who cares? Who cares? You know, um, whatever. Yeah. You know, I didn't feel, I didn't clearly didn't go into it feeling like I had something to prove to anyone. It's not like I was taking the MCAT, you know, and who knows what, it was the standard kind of thing. It's like you get this prompt and you write about it and you turn it in and then they give you whatever class you're supposed to, supposed to take. And um, I don't remember taking, I, I don't think I remember taking it, but it's like, I have no idea on what basis they evaluate those things or, or what. And whatever I did, I did it at the developmental English level. And I'm okay with that because, you know, um, uh, I mean, I write all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, so there's two ways of thinking about that. Like one is that you are uh, the poster boy for successful developmental education. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. (laughs) Or you can look at it as all of it's kind of arbitrary and a lot of placement testing is also pretty arbitrary. Yeah, both might um, be true, right? Yeah, so, I mean, it's such an interesting... Oh, I don't know. Let me not get on my uh, my soapbox about placement testing. Yeah, placement Sorry. testing conversations are a different podcast. Yeah, it is, but, I mean, I think... <laughs> Probably most beneficially with other people that are doing... <laughs> that are recording but, that one and not... Yeah, but, I mean, I do think it's an interesting thing, like you know, as you're trying to figure out what your voice looks like and how your voice will acclimate to college, the first thing you're told is that you have a developmental voice. Yeah, I have a developmental voice. My voice is developing. And so we'll put you in this group with these other people whose voices are developing. Yep. And we're going to talk about punctuation. Yeah, we're going to talk about punctuation. But I mean, what does this tell you? I mean, literally, I write all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I write all the time. Um. And uh, I remember learning lessons in, in writing and they were hard won and they were not easy and they were kind of painful. You're welcome to graduate school, you know? It's like uh-huh. the stories I could tell about writing from that. And um, uh, the stories I could, it's, like it's, it's almost like makes me twitch um, thinking back to lessons I've learned and learning how to write in graduate school. It's like my my graduate advisor uh, her reputation was was she had this campus reputation. It's like that if you study with her, you're gonna graduate, uh, and you'll be a really good writer. And so it's like, ah, oh, that sounds delightful. We're gonna sit around the office and drink some chamomile tea on warm spring sunny days, and we're gonna talk about prose and diction and sentence structure and all of that. And it's like, no, that's not how that worked. I graduated uh, being a very very good writer. That is not how that went. Went. Well, she's she's referred to the red pen for a reason. Yeah, you know. I think some of these kinds of conversations are really they're really interesting. Like this idea of the the hard won lesson. Um, why do we think that all like why is there so much valor in the suffering? Yeah. Right? Like, like that's, that's the story of like graduate school, right? Like I suffered through it. Now I'm going to make you suffer through it. Yeah. It will be painful because. That's the way I learned how to do it. And that's why I'm going to teach you how to do it. Right. And it's like this, like, 
And it's not just graduate school that does this, right? Like there's so many parts of life like where we're gritting through everything because we're told life is hard and you have to always be doing the hard thing because the hard thing pays off. And thicken your skin up a little bit, you know, get resilient. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden one day you wake up and you realize, okay, I've got really thick skin. I'm quite (laughs) resilient. Uh, and I'm also fucking tired. Yeah, and I've, uh, you know, and uh, <laughs> um, I'm resilient. I have thick skin. I'm a good writer. I have a hy- hypertension, right? My left <laughs> cholesterol's through the roof. Um, my left eye twitches. <laughs> you know, uh, my massage therapist can't make progress on my shoulders without a jackhammer. Right. Um, it's like, I have, and I have migraines. It's like, oh boy, but I'm a good writer and I learned it. The gritty way, so it's 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 interesting how yeah. that how that approach is. I think that's still I don't know. It's been I was just thinking about this. It's been about fifteen years since I finished graduate school. My God, um, it's like I don't know if that's still the way the things go these days, uh, especially with COVID and stuff. I don't know, but man, it sure was prevalent when I was when I was there. I mean, you know, I finished I finished my PhD in. 2014 um so i guess only about six years ago um but i still you know we know lots of people who are going through yeah um going through now and i and and you know i think it's not just i think one it is very easy for us who are both full professor at our institution right like it's easy i think in some ways for us to be like oh we don't have to grit and bear it like yeah enjoy life but i found my voice and now i can blah you know right like i mean there's a i mean to some extent like i don't know i'm of two minds with this like on the one hand i'm like wow we're in such a place of privilege to even be able to call this out but then at the same time i also know the blood sweat and tears that went into uh, building this incredibly resilient woman that I have become. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I'm really tired. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, um, the, the <sighs> amount of work it's taken to, like, unlearn so many of the cultural lessons yeah. that I picked up. Like, boy, did I learn them. But why? And um, this is like... Uh, it's kind of like the example you were talking about in uh, one of our shared meditation spaces about mm. all the purses. Oh, yeah. You might have to explain that. I can't explain that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the but purses. to say, uh, I feel like I've got a whole bunch of purses all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, I need to find that picture. I need to find that photograph of my, my parents' basement. Because... Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call um, my mom and my grandmother hoarders. I mean, they weren't no hoarders. But uh, when my mom passed away in 2011, uh, there were a, there's a, there was a lot of stuff in that basement. There was a lot of stuff in that house. Um, it took us years to get through that. And when I say us, I'm mostly talking about my dear sister, right, who mm-hmm. lived a couple of blocks away who bore the brunt of this. Um, there was a lot of stuff in that in that house. And um, like I say, I, I hesitate to, to say, you know, oh, they just hoarded a bunch of stuff that didn't need. Um, my grandmother lived through the depression. Stuff stuff was valuable. You know, you couldn't just like f- wantonly discard things after one use. Um, 
with the conditions of their lives when they were growing up. So it's like, I get it, you know, um, Ooh, I could use this. I'm going to keep it. You know, I might need this later. This is, this is not, you know, I don't want to be so, you know, flippant as just like discard this stuff that might be useful. So, I mean, they, they had some hardwired stuff in through by living through difficult times, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of resources and things like that. Uh, that probably played into that a little bit. And my mother was my grandmother's daughter and Uh she lived with her her whole life and uh, those lessons were learned. And so the things that we would see uh, in in the basement is it's like, why did my grandmother have literally 150 purses? You know, why are there 25 plastic yogurt containers? Why is there a bag, a bread bag full of bread bags? There was a case, uh, like a 24-pack case of, of like, industrial cleaner. Mm-hmm. It's like, w- w- f- what? Um, it's like, there's a there's a grocery store half a mile away. Just go get some 409 or something, you know? Um, but, I mean, again, these are different times. And and so what my grandma had already said, what, what she had always said, um, which we had heard, which if my sister is listening, she might start to twitch a little bit when she hears this. It's like, oh, you can't go wrong for a buck. You know, if you're if you're at a place and you're buying something and there's a, a purse or something or another bag or or another th- kitschy thing or whatever that caught your eye in one way and it costs a dollar, it's like, man, eh, I can't go wrong for a buck. And in the into the basket it would go, and home it would end up, and in the basement somewhere it would live for the next forty years and a hundred and fifty purses. And it's like, yeah. why? Who needs a hundred and fifty? bags? You know, and the all all that we do when we investigate that question is, you know, my we look at each other and it's like, well, you can't go wrong for a dollar. And this goes back to, and the story that I was talking about in the shared meditation space was the Thomas Jefferson quote, mm-hmm. right? Don't don't buy things that you don't need because they're cheap. Yeah. Um, just because something cheap doesn't mean that you should get them. And the context was you're, you're at a place getting something that you really do need or that is something that you went there to get and you see something cheap and it's like, ah, oh, it's only a buck, why not? And yeah. what do you end up with? You end up with 150 purses that you don't need because it was because it was cheap. So it's like it, it really is an outcoming of that right. um, Thomas Jefferson quote. What I was talking yeah. about is when you're learning one lesson and they offer you this other one that's not going to serve you for free, but it, you're going to tear your up, tear yourself up, you know, incorporating that in. And you're like, oh yeah, sure, I'll learn that lesson too. And you take it on and you beat yourself up for 15 years. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that, like, I think that is something like, worth considering like not not every lesson in life is for you yeah <laughs> right right like um one of my mentors at virginia tech um i think it, it was a couple of years after i'd been at my my current job and um was just thinking about like you know the the issues and stress of you know navigating the workplace like uh-huh. as as an adult human in the world yeah um and uh, Paul, different Paul, different Paul. Um, yeah. You know, Paul, the OG Paul. He was like, um, he was like Sherry. Like when people are handing you this stuff, you've got to imagine that they are handing you a literal plate of shit, and like realize that you get to say no, thank you, right? And right. Um, but I think you know there are these there are these notions of like tough love and uh you know constructive criticism um and to where i sort of got to a point where i 
I, I started moving through life as though everyone had the right to give me feedback on how and who I should be in the world. Yeah. Right. And it turns out I, I, I don't, I don't actually want all that. I, no, thank you. Right. I'd rather not. Right. Like, um, yeah. Um, but so, it's so interesting how people will just offer you like life lessons. Yeah. Life le- like for free. Just, it's like, just, Hey, here's a life lesson. Here's a just hint. A little, just a little morsel. Um, and I feel like, you know, I've always felt like this obligation to be thoughtful and receptive and open. Thank you. Um, and so all of all that is, is like, you know, you you start to look inside and you realize, oh my God, it's not 150 purses. Like, where did all these ideas come from? Yeah. 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 Not all of them are serving you. Some of them just taking up space. Some of them are in opposition to each other. Right. Um, and they're heavy. And some carry. of them are made of very itchy fabric. Very itchy fabric um, from the inside, you know, yeah. very itchy from yeah. the inside. So it was like this, hey, Paul, you know, let's let's learn how to write. We're going to do this great research and it's going to be fantastic. And uh, if you're doing it the right way, you know, you shouldn't be sleeping. You should be here at three o'clock in the morning working on this kind of stuff if you take it seriously. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's the image of, of what it means to be a successful scientist uh, uh-huh. is, you know, this work all day, work all night, don't do weekends. Uh, what, what, you know, and you, you see the formation of these habits that don't, that don't serve us or help us in the service of you trying to do your best, um, mm-hmm. to, to be who you want to be and to be the person that you see when you close your eyes and think about who you are. Um, and you, you sort of do it because I mean, these people know better than you. I mean, they're, they're successful. They've made it. And to do it right, you have to do it like like them, and or at least the way they're saying it, and their opinion is is valuable. Uh, and who are you to say no? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so here's some advice, right? And and they think they're doing you. I mean, I think lots of people think that holding other people to standards, pushing them in certain ways, they think that that's supportive, right? Like. I'm sure your graduate director did not think I'm going to go bully Paul today. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> she, <laughs> I sort of sort of got the impression that some days <laughs> like, some days it didn't feel that way. No, it didn't feel that way. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, so so that's the question then, isn't it? Um, what's the difference between supporting and encouraging and uh, like p- drawing the best out of someone and wanting them to become their best version of themselves and something else. I don't even know what yeah. to call it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there was a phrase, I don't know where I picked it up. It's like it might have been in graduate school, but it stuck with me for a long time. And it's one of those where you know, when I'm thinking about this topic, I think back, it's like, this is one of those things that's like somebody else said this to me in a context, in an educational context where I'm trying to learn something and a new skill or a concept or whatever. And it's like, I paid that forward by, you know, offering this to some of my own students is an act and gesture of kindness, giving them what may in fact probably be a plate of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this, um, this phrase, pressure makes diamonds. Mm. 
you know, pressure makes, you know, hey, Paul, why are you working at three o'clock in the morning? Pressure makes diamonds, you know, mm-hmm. um, why are you doing a million different things on this? Well, pressure makes diamonds. Um, the more the more pressure you put yourself under, uh, under, the shinier and bigger your diamond will be that you will become. And that, you know, all of this extraordinary pressure and, and everything that we put on ourselves is somehow making us better at, at what we're doing. Um, and... <sighs> And competition is good, right? Because, but, you know, that's how you'll get better is by competing with other people in your graduate office for resources and things. But also, why are we aiming to be diamonds, right? Because, like, let's think about diamonds, right? Like, okay, pressure makes diamonds. Cool. Yeah. But then as soon as there's some little blemish within the diamond, we we deem it unacceptable. So right. why why put ourselves under so much pressure, just to be deemed unworthy as soon as there's a scratch or as soon as there's a blemish. Nope, I call bullshit. Yeah, like, do you? Why become a diamond? I because uh, somebody made a decision that they are valuable, and we all believed it. It's the same reason why the Mona Lisa is worth so much. Right? It's like, why? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? You know, it, it's it's about the size. What is it? It's like 18 by 24. It's this little thing. It's not some huge wall piece or anything like that. But it's the only thing in the room. Um, and it's like this little painting and you look at it and you're like, yeah. Yeah. Cool. But, it's a lady. Right. You know, it's like shocking, shocking price tag associated. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even have a price tag. You know, it's it's invaluable piece of, of art. It's like because people decided it was. Well, so that's why I think some of the work that we do, like in the space of this podcast is so useful to me, right? Like I think it pushes me to to stop and ask myself like, okay, so pressure makes diamonds. Is that really a value I want to hang on to? Yeah. You want to be transparent and hard? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) okay, cool. Um, Or, you know, what else is there? And there... And I think there's so many of these phrases, these things that just come out of our mouths so quickly. They right? sound like, great. They sound great. Yeah, they man, sound great diamonds. and they sound supportive and you can put them on a card and it's like, you know, oh, you're having a hard time. Well, hang in there. Yep. What does that even mean? Hang in there? Like, so the image here is that a the person you are talking to is literally dangling dangling from yeah. something and and what you've got is hey just don't let go i'll be over here eating some snacks you yeah. hang in there yeah do what you gotta do like mm, no what else we got right yeah. like how many of these sayings sound really good and they're a really great stand-in for for the actual work of doing life with other people pressure makes progress yeah or what is it? Pressure makes pressure diamonds. makes diamonds. Pressure makes yeah. diamonds. Yeah. Uh, well, I reject the premise that I want to be a diamond. Yeah. What if I don't want to be a diamond? What if I want to be gold, and malleable, and shiny, and equally valuable? You know, what if yeah. I want to be? I mean, fill in the blank. Um, right. Yeah. But I think a saying like that, right? Like when we say something like that to our students. It encourages them to keep pushing. It encourages them to keep doing the work. And it it makes us less. 
it sounds like wisdom. It does. But it's not. No. Um, one of our mutual friends, Melanie, has a saying, uh, practice makes progress. Hmm. And I think I like that a little better because one, it doesn't tell me what I am. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not a diamond, whatever. Um, and then it also, you know, it's just focusing on the fact that, yep, we're going to keep doing work and we're going to make a little up. We're going to move the needle a little bit. Yeah. I mean, what, what can we do today? Yeah. What can we do today? Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what happened. So, um, Sorry, that was of... like me being like, I hate this diamond thing. <laughs> we do have a safe word on this podcast in case anybody ever hears it, right? It's it's pineapple, right? So... <laughs> oh, you're not supposed to tell them. <laughs> Sorry, no, we have to change it. We have to change it. No, um, but that's, that's always been our safe word. Yeah, so. it's always been the safe we word. Can't change um, it. Because that happens. I mean, what what we uncover when we do these. Wait, are you actually saying the safe word? Or? I'm not. No, we're good. Okay, good. Right. It's like, I thought you were going to say it there for a second. And I was like, are we there? Are we there? <laughs> pineapple, pineapple. Um, What's your favorite fruit, Sherry? Go. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was thinking maybe it might be, I don't know, pineapple or something like that. Try mm-hmm. to work it in casually. No, I'm but, still on papaya. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when um, my communication style sort of, sort of shifted. Um, I remember taking you know, oral communication classes when I was an undergraduate. And um, I, I do remember enjoying them pretty well. And the, it was a, you know, note card situation, you know, where it's like, make sure you have your note cards and you don't drop, you know. And um, now, of course, well, I say, of course, this isn't, that that's not how I should, should I'm going to should myself and say because that's not how I should start. That's not how I should should start that. Um, but it's like I don't use note cards uh, when I do presentations. Maybe I'll take a couple of notes and put them on a piece of paper or something. But it's like I'm just going to go up there and riff it. Uh-huh. And um, I, I found that you know using note cards. I, and I found this out. You know, I wouldn't say the hard way, but it was again one of these like hard one lessons. Um was uh whatever presentation you're going to give if you if you actually know what you're talking about and you actually know your material um any presentation that you do with note cards will be less interesting than one you would give if you just went up there and and talked to people Uh and and just and just talked you know and you're not distracted by the note cards more stuff can go wrong with the note card but if you drop one you're always trying to make sure you got your place you get you're you're tied to making sure that the presentation you're giving is living up to note card standard it's like this talk better be perfect because i'm using note cards mm-hmm. if you go up there with nothing it's like hey man i'm just talking whatever yeah. you know <laughs> so the bar is lower um if if you forget something that you had on a note card when you were just talking straight away nobody's gonna know and nobody's gonna care (laughs) you know uh any anyway so i mean there's all of these uh david rubenstein was talking about this on uh tim ferris's podcast recently Mm -hmm. it's like yeah but i I remember going through that transition of like always using note cards and taking a lot of notes and trying to give this perfect talk yeah um and then now it's just like i'm not even gonna screw with that i know my material i'm just gonna go up there and talk have I ever told you about my conference history like with that? Mm-mm. So when what I, the first conference it? I ever presented at was the, uh, the International Association of the Fantastic and the Arts. Um, so literally a sci-fi literature yeah, totally. convention, right? Um, but I was a junior in college 
and it was a literary conference and everybody read their papers. Um, like literally read? Literally read mm. their papers in front of other humans. Um, so there's one thing that has terrified Sherry more than anything else in the world since she was very, very small, and that is reading in front of other humans. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And, um, and you know, in retrospect, having now taught reading and t- understanding a lot more about literacy than I did, it was fine. It was fine. I stumbled over my words sometimes because of my reading fluency and... Um, just how nervous I get. Yeah, right. Um, right. But I was so humiliated, right? Like, I walked away from that experience so convinced, like, oh, my gosh, you're such an idiot. Um, that, like, for a while, I thought, oh, I can't do this. And then um, I gave one conference presentation where, like, you know, I did the thing where I had note cards, but they didn't have anything on them. Yeah, I just right. had a stack of them because that's what you were supposed to do. Yeah. And then I cool, just went right? up there. Note cards, PowerPoint slides, and just talked. And then, like, everybody was like, oh, that was such an interesting conversation. Like, oh, my gosh. You really connected with the audience? Yeah, Yeah, I'd love to read that paper. And I was like, yeah, me too. I haven't written that. (laughs) As soon as I write it, I'll let you. (laughs) Yeah, so um, somewhere along the lines, I just started talking. And, um, yeah, I think it's so much better. It's so much better for the audience. Um, But... Well-meaning people would always tell me, oh, you got to have note cards. You should read your paper. You should print your paper in, you know, 22 font, double space, yeah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. There's a strategy to it, right? You know, and I think all that wisdom, all that advice, wisdom, whatever it is, comes from the best possible place. But it just doesn't work for everybody. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And, you know, I have, I have a conference story myself like the first like major scientific conference i presented at yeah my graduate advisor was invited to do a presentation like 12 minute whatever a little short little thing for this ultra grand poobah of the field um and and and, uh in front of all these luminarious folks and uh my graduate advisor said hey paul do you want to do it kind of like okay because what do I know? You know, what do I know? Yeah. Uh, and so it's like the very first science presentation I gave was in front of like these titans of the of the field kind of thing. And I remember I did have note cards up there. And my the entire presentation, my left leg did not stop shaking. Oh, yeah. The entire time. And I'm just like, I am Paul. You know, my leg is like going nuts over here. It's like I got my hand on it trying to keep it from like bouncing the entire uh, you know, stage I was on. Uh, it was, I, I want to look back at that fondly and say that it was like this awesome experience. It was not. Well, it's you know, like, Paul, pressure <laughs> makes diamonds. Yeah. And, and that was, and that's what it was like. And, and that's what I had in my head. It was like, okay, I mean, this is the way this is going to go. This is what the, the, you know, this is the path I've chose. And so do this, I will. And I'm you know, in, in my imposter syndrome is is, is like an eleven at this point. Right. It's like, oh my god, I'm totally. You know, it, nobody looks this nervous or feels this nervous. What's wrong with me? Because I'm super nervous at this thing. Yeah. Um, and then I remember I had my exit talk. You know, for my for my PhD. You know, um, at the the whole geology department and some of the bio folks were over there. It was paleontology, right? So you get a little bit of both. You get a little bit of both. Um. You know, I sit next to to another faculty person, and they and you know they leaned over and just said, "Man, you don't look nervous at all." 
Aren't you nervous? Don't you have any? It's like, where are your note cards? And it's like this, just, just this look on their face of just like, this isn't how this is supposed to go. You know, you don't look nervous at all. You haven't prepared for this. You, you know, you don't have your note cards. What's going on over here? And, you know, the shockingly important lesson for me that I learned at that point was that's not how I need to do it. Uh-huh. That is a decision about how they need to do it. Right. And their way of doing it is not my way of doing it. And if they need note cards and if they want to find comfort in that and they give a better talk when they give note cards, great. If they get really nervous when they go up in front of their colleagues and give a talk, perfect. I get it, man. It's cool. I've been nervous before in front of, a, in front of an audience. That's great. Um, I made a decision not to do that. Yeah. And it was not it was like I woke up the morning and it's like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. And it was easy from there on out. No. I think it, was, it took a lot of trial and error. But through dedicated effort and a little bit of immersion – into the unknown it's like you know what i don't need note cards it's like i know my topic you know it's like i'm not gonna be nervous what am i gonna do you know the more nervous i am the shittier my talk's gonna be let's go up there and let it rip pull the pin and let it rip yeah yeah i mean it's so interesting like figuring out how much that's that's really all there is is like how do you figure out what your version of this life looks like yeah and claiming that version um you know, Eric and I talk about this sometimes, like we'll have a conversation about how to navigate a particular issue. Um, and Eric and I like a lot of the same things, but we are not alike in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, we navigate space very differently. Um, and so he'll describe a situation in his life and I'll be like, well, what you should do. And then I'll like rattle off some really sage Sherry wisdom. And then he will be like, yeah, cool. Uh, that's what you would do? Uh, how would you do it if you were Eric? And I'm like, oh, right. Um, I always have to come to that realization that like supporting him isn't always about telling him how I would do things. Um, but it's giving him space to figure out how yeah. he yeah. will do the thing. Totally. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But I think that that's a hard thing, you know, as teachers, as spouses, as friends, like, um, how do we make, how do you help other people figure out their own way? Yeah, it's hard. Um, and, uh, one thing just kind of looking back on my experiences with how to, how to come to, into a place where I found a figured it out my way. And that's like, okay, that's the way I do it. And this is my way of doing it. And I'm going to stick with it. And it's going to be okay. Every time, it's like, what, what do all of those times when I've been nervous have in common? What do all of those times when um, I felt like a fraud, what do all these things have in common? And the thing that I come back to time and time again when I think about that is all those times when I felt like a fraud in the way that I was approaching something, it's because I was a fraud in the way I was approaching it. I was doing it somebody else's way. Mm. You know, because I had some idea in my head about what it looks like to do this thing and these other people who I respect do it this way. And so if it's to be done correctly, I'm to do it that way. 
as well. I'm thinking for some reason, like I'm still thinking of like Jacques Pepin in cooking. This is how you scramble an egg. And if you want to cook a good egg, you're going to do it exactly this way with this cookware, with this spatula, with these organically sourced local eggs with this, you know, but you know about, you know, the thing about Jacques Pepin and how he scrambles an egg, right? Yeah, you may he, have accidentally stumbled upon this. Or do you know? Uh, I know of a story. What is yours? Um, I just know that he uses a fork, regardless of the yeah, pain yeah, yeah, yeah. Using. He uses a metal fork in a in a in a nonstick cooking cooking skill, and, and people are like you're not supposed to use metal utensils in nonstick. And it's like, oh, he does it all the time. Yeah, because he can. He can replace his nonstick pan. I would yeah. rather mine not be scratched. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uses a fork. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Oof. I know. Um. That's a story, I think, in one of Anthony Bourdain's Yeah, I think cook- it is. Cookbooks. I think it is. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. Um, I love that one. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's <gasps> great. That's great. So, you know, Jacques Pepin would say, cook your egg your own way. You know, um, this is how I do it. And it's pretty good. And I, f- I figured it out that way. So what's, what way is yours? And um, so I don't know how to do that, though. It's like, well, I... I, I do know how to do that. I don't know how to teach that. And I'm, I'm still sort of trying to figure that out. And I yeah. think a lot of, I think a lot of teachers are, mm-hmm. how do you teach somebody to do it their way? And it, it's hard when there's uh, a test coming up and you, you see the consequences of not figuring it out, what your way is in time, <laughs> you know, uh, and with, with the sense of impending doom and this, this really strong urge to fall back on the way that, you know, other people have done it. Or that you may have done an okay job of, no matter how uncomfortably it's been in the past. Um, ultimately, I think it what what a lot of this comes down to is what is what is my way of doing this, and how do yeah. I get comfortable with that, and how do we support people best in in doing that? Mm-hmm. And Ram Das has this great story where um, I don't even remember what the context of it is, but. Uh, somebody was struggling with uh, a meditation practice or a yoga practice or something like that. And uh, Ram Das goes up to him and says, so what's going on? What's uh, what's what's the problem? What, what's what's the hard part you got thinking about over here? And he mm-hmm. says, well, I'm trying to do this this way and it's not working. And uh, Ram Das said, who are, you, who are you trying to, who are you trying to do it like? Huh. You know, and the guy's like, I'm, I'm trying to do it like these people over here. And it's like, well, they're taken already. You got to do it a different way. They, there's already somebody doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to pick some, you got to, you got to find out a different way. Cause they're already doing it. That person is taken. Mm-hmm. You can't do it that way. You know? So it's like when you're trying to learn how to be a good professor or a good teacher or good, whatever, you know, you don't need to do a Jacques Pepin's way. It's that job's been taken. There's already a Jacques Pepin doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, what is your way? Yeah, this is, um, this is one of the things I, lots of people, um, really believe when you're teaching writing that it's really important to give a model like people believe this right and textbooks mm-hmm. have lots of models probably in your developmental english class there were models of probably good writing. yeah probably um and i absolutely hate giving models because is this like the five paragraph format thing of a, that's basically what it tends to yeah, be right. um an intro three body paragraphs <laughs> <laughs> right um I remember that. So there must have been, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah, yep. You you got the Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it must have been. been. <laughs> it has been built into you, liberally applied, right? Right. But I hate that because um, as soon as I give the model, um, students think, "Oh, that's the right way to do it." Uh huh. Um, and 
I think one of the hard things about teaching, especially teaching writing or teaching an activity that includes a writing component, is that when people assign writing, I think in their head, they they do. They envision what they think the right answer looks like. Mm -hmm. And then they try to guide other people into how to find that thing, right? Yeah, um, right. So I think the hardest thing as being a writing teacher, but it's not specific to what I do. It's specific to like doing life with other people mm -hmm. um, is really just coming alongside people while they figure their own way out. And the model, right, is so much safer. It's so much more friendly, right? Like this is why colleges and universities right now want students in pathways right because yeah, it's right. safe right like you wouldn't waste credits it's a right? guarantee like, yeah just follow the follow the road man just follow the road efficiency and like all of these things are done with this this theater towards support and like oh we wouldn't want people to be lost and blah 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 but all it does is create like sameness right like there's yeah. no um i've been talking to my students a lot about thomas kuhn lately like mm -hmm. there's no paradigm shift there's no innovation um there's just replicating other other versions of misery yeah there is yeah there is you know it's like wow they're absolutely miserable how can i be miserable like them oh okay i'll do it that way <laughs> that'll guarantee it yeah probably right um, like let's I go don't... to college and choose from the four career paths that there are so that i can quickly get to my job and be miserable yeah. just like everyone else yeah i don't recall many of these people who gave me all this great advice being particularly f f happy people in their in their lives um and so he like here we are. It's like no, get lost. You know, be lost for a little bit. You know, wander, find some uh -huh. new stuff. Yeah. You know what what happens when you find what do you, what do you do when you discover you're off the map? Uh, right. Do you oh, freak out and try to get back on the map, or it's like ah, oh, what's around? What can I see? What's new and different over here? Um, nothing ever hugely revolutionary and different was made by doing it the way that somebody else did it, because it was already done. If it was that easy, the other person would have done it. Right. Right. You've never existed before on this earth, dear listener. Your particular combination of genes and molecules and causes and conditions and in this time and this place where you are has never existed before. There's going to be, no matter what you do, if it's done authentically and done honestly, there's going to be an element of novelty, mm -hmm. newness to it because it's never been done your way before nor could it ever have been and that's not something to run from that's to be embraced i mean my god the opportunity the pressure is off you don't have to do it like anybody else but wait we won't become a diamond if the pressure is off no you'll be this whole new other thing that has never existed you'll be even more valuable because you'll be unique unique in your expression of who you are and that'll be more valuable than than anything because it's a one-off yeah. Um, which is, which is, I think the most beautiful stuff out there, you know, strive for this uniqueness. And so I, I'm convinced, you know, why I did so poorly on this placement test for English is I tried to write, you know, I said, like, I actually tried to do it in the, in the, okay, what do I remember from high school? Okay, I need to write this. I need to write that. And it's like, I didn't stand a chance. Yeah. You know, for a couple of combined reasons. I didn't care that much. I have a pretty lousy memory at the time. Uh, I'm a, sort of a natural born rebel. So it's like, oh, yeah, I might have intentionally screwed it up. I don't know. 
who knows? Uh, I don't think I did that, but... Um, I can just see 18-year-old Paul going in there and saying, this is stupid. This is stupid. This is you stupid. Know, this is stupid. Whatever, I'll my, take the stupid test. I should have just written that on the page like a hundred times. Like, this is uh, stupid. Like in The Tests Shining. don't you know, tell you what you want to know. You know, makes Paul a dull boy. Um, so, so that's what it is. It's like, you know, seriously though, all work and no play makes Paul a dull boy. You know, when, how do we, how do we cultivate this, this novelty and this newness and doing things in new and in, in different ways? It can't be work. You know, yeah. you got to give yourself this permission to sort of explore and, and to realize it's like, okay, I've never done this before. It's probably going to fail. How's yeah. this going to turn out? Let's try it. See, you know, yeah. You know, it's so interesting, like, this idea of exploration. Do you know how I fell in love with research? How? Oh. Getting lost in Newman Library at Virginia Tech. Mm. Like, mm. Um, like, so, you know, if I were to choose one sacred place on Earth, like, a place that, like, nothing could ever defile for mm. me, though I'm a... Sh- I could tell you stories about how Newman has been defiled, but anyhow, but to me, Newman library was like this sacred place, particularly the third floor. And, um, whenever I got stuck as a writer, I would just wander into the stacks, like, and I would find the section that I knew belonged to me. Right. And so Mm -hmm. this is where like imposter syndrome didn't matter because it was just me and my books, you know? which were stand-ins for the my people who I hadn't yet met, right? And then I would just wander. And the only sound that I could hear was, was basically like my creaky ankle because my left ankle makes noise. Yeah, right, um, right. And that was it, just me and my books. And I would just pick up things. And it didn't matter. I could pick up whatever seemed useful. Yeah. And then head back to my table where my husband then boyfriend would like give me a little side eye like oh god what's she doing with these random books and was she really in the stats department for a while um nice nice and then i would just try to figure out like what could i cobble together um based on all these random things that i that i brought together um and that's i just i don't know why i started doing that but that's where i was just like well let me just find a random book and see if I can fit it in. Yeah. And then when I could, it was such a like accomplishment. Like, and then my, my faculty would be like, I never would have thought to do that. I was like, me neither. Why would you? Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. 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 Why would you? But that's, um, but that's what discovery is in a lot of ways, I think. Um, and maybe that's, you know, the point that, you know, maybe support is just witnessing other people discovering their own way. Yeah, it might be. It it might be. And uh, what does encouragement look like? I don't know. Um, I don't think pressure makes diamonds is maybe the best. Um, it's, are you curious? Keep going. Um, see where it goes. Um, one of the roles that I've sort of feel like I've taken on a little bit when I work um, more closely with some students as they're sort of discovering this kind of stuff, it's, you know, you're free to fail. I'll do my best to make sure that you don't hit the ground too hard. Uh-huh. I'll let you know when I think you're about to. And, uh-huh. uh, 
if if I don't say ah warning warning, uh, then everything, everything is fine, <laughs> you know. So you know, how do you how do you guide someone through a through a system while at the same time, you know, letting them feel like they're free to explore mm-hmm. um, who they are and how they do stuff and what what their way sort of sort of is, even though if it doesn't even look anything like a way that they've seen before, um, they can you know I've seen students beat themselves up. Um, for feeling like um, it takes them so much longer to do this this way. It, it takes them so much. It's so much harder than the way everybody else is doing it. Um, why is it? Why is it? Why does it feel so different from me? And it's like, well, because you're doing it differently. Because you're, you're doing it unique to the way that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so and like, keep I going. Think... Keep going. Keep going. Become right. Keep know, get going. some confidence. Keep going. Well, and I think part of what's heard in that is. What happens when we bring curiosity, not judgment, yeah. to how we experience things differently? Like, um, you know, that question of like, well, why does it take me so much longer? That's a great question. Yeah. What? Yeah. Why does it? Like, what? What is your what? What? What work is your brain doing? That. <laughs> That you're not acknowledging. Yeah. Right? And, and what, what I've seen people, students and non-students, not fully grasp at the beginning of why is it taking me so much longer to do this? And if they finish this sentence, it would be why is it taking me so much longer to do this thing that has never been done before by by someone like me um, or by, by someone in general? And it's like, well, you have no basis to say how long it's going to take. It's never been done before. It's new. It's unique. It's it's a different approach that that is being taken here. Yeah, you know it. It doesn't. It looks like it's taking longer than other people, but they are not doing what you're doing, right? You know, um, everybody's not doing things the exact same way, mm-hmm. and you're you're on a you're on a voyage of discovery. When yeah. when when somebody does this, and when when you do it, when you do new stuff, and it's expectation must be relaxed a little bit on on time and distance and and all of that when that when that happens because you might discover discover end up discovering some stuff that has never even been thought before seen before heard of before done before mm-hmm. um because that's what novelty gets us yeah yeah and i i mean i think that idea of like doing something new like um you know, when I interviewed Ian Mackay for my dissertation, I've probably mm-hmm. said this a thousand times everywhere I've gone. Um, you know, Ian has a saying where he says, like, when something scares you, lean in because yeah, you're about go. to learn something. Yeah, go. Um, and so I think I think that's true for fear. I mean, not always, but a lot of times. I also think it's true for confusion, right? Like when we get the most confused, like, boy, the brain is trying to sort out something chewy and interesting. Cool. Yeah. Like confusion is often such a cool gift. Um, yeah. But we don't yeah. like to spend time with it. It doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great. Yeah. It's like, ugh, yeah. It sucks. Like, oh, this is strange. I don't know what to do with this. Yikes. Cool. We're nice. about to learn something. Yeah, and I think there's value. I don't know. I mean, this is where my my opinion might diverge um, from from those of others, and it's okay if it does. I think. Um, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. Right. Go, for, go ahead. Uh-huh. Right. Um, 
just I mean it's it's not a bad idea when when you're trying to do something you know that looks kind of similar in a field or something that somebody else is doing you know yeah talk to them yeah pick their brain yeah figure out how they do it how do they do this stuff what do they bring into the table what how are they approaching these kinds of problems um and those things have value I mean it's like fun yeah certainly you know talk to those who have walked on on paths before you that are creative the the risk isn't okay that's how they did that's how i have to do it too right and and it's like you can get other people's opinions for and, and ideas for inspiration for guidance for thoughts for um have you tried this this way before and if so how'd it work out if not what do you think uh that kind of stuff so it's it's gathering information without feeling like you're then obligated to it uh-huh. afterwards it's like can you hear that and say okay cool that that's neat i'm gonna try this this other way you know, yeah as well yeah. Well, and it's interesting. Um, I know in my own life, one of the things that I tend to do is like if I'm faced with like making a decision, um, I have an irritating habit of asking, irritating probably to me, not to other people necessarily, but I'll ask like a lot of people's opinions. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I know is often happening when I'm doing that is I already think I know what the answer is, but I don't right. trust my own self yet. Right. So what I will do is I will parade around with the decision I've already made to other humans in my life, and I uh-huh. will ask them their opinion, and then I will watch my response to them. Um, and sometimes, like, in how irritated or accepting I feel at their response, I learn what I really think is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but my impulse isn't always to trust myself. So I act yeah. like, oh, I have no idea what yeah. I should do. I will ask 3,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've never existed before. So how could you know? You know, how could you know? And I, th- I think that's something for everybody to remember. Yeah. You know, as we go through this life of ours. Um, and it's scary, you know, to feel like everything has to be new. Um, and it doesn't, you know, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a place for pre-existing information out there. There yeah. really is. There really is. But there are some things that are just going to be yours and your way of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And just because it looks different doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. Yeah. Just means it's yours. I feel like the name of this episode is going to have to be, um, pressure makes diamonds, but who said I wanted to be a diamond yeah, but anyway? Who said I wanted to be a diamond? Um, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, I don't know what advice I would, how do you support folks as they're doing it? Keep going. Let's walk on this together and let me know when you come up with something cool. Yeah. And if you don't, that's cool too. And we'll talk about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of times it looks like being people's cheerleaders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so too. And I think what it looks like to be somebody's cheerleader doesn't always look like pom-poms and hurrahs, right? Yeah. That's all I got it, on it that. It doesn't. Yeah, and well, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this on the other side. Um, when somebody's trying to figure out why does my way look so different than everybody else's way and, and not really sort of grokking the novelty component of this, it can be really hard. I mean, you're going to witness some 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 struggle in other people as they work through this a little bit, and that can be that can be tough. Uh-huh. You know, it's not easy ever to watch people 
you know, struggling with, with the thing. Just like, oh, I want to fix it so bad. You know, I want to fix it so bad. Um, I just want to swoop in and, and fix. Well, uh, and, I, and that does, that does no one any favors. Yeah. I think the other thing that just occurred to me as you were talking is another thing that, um, came up in a conversation I had with my therapist recently, like this idea that, um, that being us is hard work, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm always like, well, it's hard work being me. Um, or I'm working so hard on myself. Um, and recently she was like, why do you always talk about yourself? Like your hard work, like mm. you're making a lot of progress. Like maybe like, uh, maybe it's not actually effort, right? Like maybe it doesn't have to be pressure being us. Yeah. Maybe we can just like, I, I don't know. Like I, I think I've spent so much time talking about me. Like I am a chore, mm. right? Like we're so mm -hmm. comfortable being like life is hard and we got to struggle and it's hard being me. Um, but what if it's just like, yeah. So being me, that's a thing, right? Yeah. Like, why do we have yeah. to judge it? Like, it's, oh, it's so much work. Like, yep, yeah, being me. Being I'm me. doing it. Yeah. Doing it. Great. And, you know, you, it, it kind of, when, when you sort of make that shift, you, you end up saying really interesting things that just, like, blows people's minds sometimes. It's like, so what are you going to do? It's like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. I haven't done it yet. We'll see. I'm, I'll be, I'm as interested to figure out what I'm going to do as you are. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, uh, you'll figure it out. You always have. Uh, and it's Sherry is giving Paul side eye. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a little more notorious for this. It's like, oh my God, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I'm as interested and I'm as curious to find out as you are. But that's the thing, right? You like know? the difference between mm -hmm. seeing your life as a chore and seeing yourself and the future you as a discovery. Yeah, it's just that... a walking curiosity. It's like, who knows, man? Yeah. Um, doing my best. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Mm. I won't do everything perfectly. Chances are I won't do anything perfectly. <laughs> you know? I will do and, few things And knowing, perfectly. I mean, but going into this knowing that there's not a single thing I want to do that's done perfectly. It's like, cool, the pressure's off. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I will guarantee that I will absolutely fail to do things perfectly for everything that I try to do for the rest of my life. And like knowing that is freedom. It's like, oh, I don't even have to do it perfectly. I've already failed at it. Uh -huh. uh, I can just kind of do whatever then. I'll just do my best and people can like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's I ended a conversation with a dear friend of ours today uh, mm. with she said to me, have a day. And I said, you also have a day. <laughs> and I love that. No pressure. Yeah. Have not have a good day have a great day be happy no just you go forth have a day yeah have a day have a day i will also have a day and then we'll report back awesome mm. awesome cool. this has been a podcast yeah this cool. has been a podcast yeah have a podcast folks mm -hmm. there it is may you have a day yeah try you... try i don't know what's the advice for this one beats me try something new you know do it your way you know. yeah I think maybe it's witness and celebrate other people finding their way. Yeah. Pressure makes diamonds, but if you watch the industrial process of diamond making, a lot of times they just sort of crack apart into dust into a million pieces that you can't find. So yeah. it doesn't always yeah. work out. 
Yeah, and it's not always kind to humans, the diamond industry. Yeah, and if your objective is to, like, cut glass and things like that, or be worn as a piece of jewelry, that's fine. We aspire to other things, too. That's a good point. Like, if you would like to be someone's jewel, cool, cool, cool. Like a graduate advisor or something. Yeah. Uh, But if you aspire to be more than a trinket. Yeah. Do it your way. Mm. It's hard. That's hard. Or is it? We support you 100%. Yeah, let's not say it's hard. It's the work. It's it's the work. It's it's different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different. interesting. I'll say that. I'll say that. Yeah. I'll retract my it's hard statement and say it's different. Well, but see, it's such a habit. We're like, it oh, is. it's such it hard is. work. Oh, it is. I forgive myself, but it is. It is. Well, that's the work. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, mm-hmm. Sherry. Thanks, Paul. Awesome. Yeah. And this thanks has been everybody a podcast. for Yeah, been a podcast. Uh, this has been what a year? It's been a year. One so year 52, of so. podcasts. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners for uh, listening. Yeah. Thanks for, you know, I think our listeners have witnessed us finding our way into how to be podcast hosts. I feel like there's lots of things out there about how to start a podcast. And a year ago when we recorded um, our first one uh, mm-hmm. on the drive home, I remember... Uh, my husband said to me, like, oh, well, you should take a class. You should read a book. You should, you know, and I was just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are how Eric would start Yeah, that's how. Yeah, that's how Eric does Like, it. that is the equivalent of, hey, go read the manual to the mixer that you're going to use. Yeah. Never going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, we figured out the Paul and Sherry way. I think we did. And mm-hmm. I'm digging it. I'm digging it too, Paul. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everybody. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. Sherry, have a podcast. Podcast, yes. 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 Cool.